Today's conversation at Dr. Geo Podcast is with Jeff Young, who is a kinesiologist and certified strength and conditioning specialist who implements and oversees medical fitness and post-rehab patient services here in New York City. Jeff is a president-elect of the American College of Sports Medicine, Greater New York Regional Chapter. He is a scientific geek with that, except that he's willing and able to talk to the normal person and make things understandable in this conversation. We talk about everything strength training. Let's go. Welcome to the Dr. Geo podcast. I am your host, Dr. Geo, where it is my intention to help you improve and optimize your prostate health and how to live better with age. We have our now frequent guest. I mean, Jeff, you, this is the second time around, so now you're a frequent guest. We've only had the same guest on twice, maybe two other times, so you're the third. So welcome back. I vibe, so. I appreciate it. And, you know, I think we vibed way before you even knew that I'm actually a Penn State football fan. You're exactly right. So think about that, man. You, you just <laughs> so now- with, man. You're my best friend now. <laughs> now I'm your best friend. We're besties now. That's right. That's right. Jeff, I wanted to get you back on because recently, you know, you're, I keep saying, you know, social media can be a huge waste of time. But there, every now and again, I get gems from either Twitter or whatever it's called now, X or Facebook. Every now and then, even Instagram, I get a gem of information. And so your postings is one of them. Uh, so thank you, because you put it all out there. I'm like, how does he do this? Now, before we started recording, I know your, your schedule a little bit better. You're pursuing other advanced degrees. You, you're you teaching quite a bit. You're doing great things. So how you do that, man, it's so admirable. So thank you for doing that. Thank you very much. By the way, what's your uh, Facebook page uh, handle so that people can know about it? It's a J-Y Kines. So you know, J-Y-K-I-N-E-S. That's really my handle on social media. So I don't do a in general, on Twitter. Right? I pretty much do nothing, almost nothing on Instagram. Um, most of my stuff is Facebook, mainly because I just didn't, would rather type things out and be a little bit more thorough. Um, but J-Y-K-I-N-E-S is my handle for my social media accounts. Excellent. Good. Excellent Facebook postings for the audience. So recently, you posted something on very nice photo, by the way, of an imaging of a guy with a wrecked up knee from I might be butchering what you post posted, but it prompted me to call uh, to contact you and say, hey, can you be back on for this reason? Many of the people that I see are right, super afraid of weightlifting. I mean, super afraid. And I'm not going to go into the importance of weightlifting in this episode because you did a good job last time. So I'm just going to link up to it. What I want to get people to understand is that they need to do and to be less afraid. I'm talking about anyone, typically people who probably have never been athletes. This is probably people who are, you know, been very cerebral, less physical, um, or people who have not been, they were athletes, haven't been in 20, 30 years and then as in, in general, as men get older, they become really fearful of injuries and pain with good reason. You know, uh, the idea that um, it'll take longer to heal and so forth. 
of course, my argument is the stronger you are, you really lower your risk of injury. Even from walking on the, you know, you, you don't have to be as careful. You, if you do sprain your ankle, you recover because when you do strength training, you're not only strengthening muscles, you're strengthening tendons and ligaments as well. How can men, and I'm saying men, maybe women too, but most of my listeners are men, how can they be less fearful of the weight room? Whatever that means. I don't know whether it's barbells or hex squats or hex bars or kettlebells, whatever. How can they be less fearful? And take us through that journey from, hey, yep, I could get a personal trainer. What am I looking for? To there's no way I could get a personal trainer. How can I even go about this? Take it away. Sure. So this really is my wheelhouse because I've been working in clinical settings at hospital and private practices for the last 20 years. And when I first started, or almost 20 years, and when I first started almost 20 years ago, what you just said is literally the pattern, the theme that just presented itself. Whenever I was referred a patient, and most of the people I was referred were 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, and I just started noticing during the initial consultation, the words you just used were the regular words. I'm apprehensive. I'm scared. I don't want to get hurt, et cetera, et cetera. And also what you just talked about is, uh, you know, we talked about before I, we signed on here that one of the courses that I teach at a local college here is a sports medicine and rehab course. And I'm actually talking about this stuff right now with my students and the need mm -hmm. that my answer to your question from like a programming standpoint is you just ease yourself into the program. There's a strategic way. There's many strategic ways, but there's a strategic way that I like to, a particular strategic way that I like to ease people into a program. And first of all, it's called a familiarization phase. It is the kind of a learning curve phase, and it very closely mirrors orthopedic physical therapy in the sense that mm. it's just like two, two sets of 10. So for your listeners who have had physical therapy, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about because most physical therapists are going to have you do two or maybe three sets of 10 of whatever exercises that they're doing. But it's going to be um, you know, low frequency, a couple times a week, low volume, you're just doing a couple sets, low intensity, so you're choosing loads on purpose that are warm-ups. You aren't choosing lows that are going to take you close to muscle failure and have you, you know, gritting your teeth and, you know, and all that stuff. You're purposely choosing lows. And when you say lows, you mean the, uh, yeah, the, um, weight. the weight yeah, itself. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so the yeah. weight. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Yeah, so, and you use what's called effort scales. Like there's these subjective perceived effort, the effort that you perceive you're putting into a set. So let me, even though I don't see your listeners, let's pretend that I'm, I do see you all right now. If you were here in New York City and I'm training you and it's our first session and I'm getting to know your body and I know that you're apprehensive and all that stuff, what I'm going to do for every single exercise, whether it's a chest press or some row or a squat, it doesn't even matter, is I'm going to purposely err on the side of caution and choose a weight that I know is going to be too light maybe two pounds or five pounds or something like that. I want it to be too light because I want you to trust me. I want you to trust the program um, and all that stuff. And, and then what I'll do is at the end of the set, and let's say it is 10 repetitions. At the end of the set, I'm going to ask you, how did that feel? How did that last repetition feel on a scale of one to 10? That's a great question because it forces you to get that mind-body connection that people need to really develop. And then you're going to think about mm. it and you're going to say, yeah, you know what? That was actually pretty easy. That was only like if I did my job right, you're going to say a two. I want you to say a two. I want you to tell me it was too easy. That way, when we move up, so then I'm going to increase the weight just a little bit. It could be five pounds or whatever. And we're going to do another set. 
And then I'm going to ask you the same question. And hopefully if I did my job right, you're going to go, yeah, that might have been like a four, but it still just wasn't that bad. And so what my job and what I would like for all you listeners to understand is that don't you know, strategically ease yourself into it. Don't go at it right away. You know, start with that like five on a scale of one to 10, which is like a moderate warm up. Stay there for two or three weeks, then go to a six. And the way you go to a six is you just slightly increase the weight. You take yourself. It's a little bit closer to muscle failure, but it, but you just kind of do it incrementally. In my experience, it takes about three to four weeks. That that phase, that familiarization phase takes about three to four weeks. I start most people at a five. Over the course of that approximate month, I move them up to a seven. And what I mean by a seven is now at the end of the set, you're just starting to get that look of effort on your face. Like it's just starting to, and that movement of whatever the exercise that you're doing is starting to slow just a little bit. And that is the lower end of what's called a true working set. Once I've gotten you to that point, it's time now the training wheels are off and it's time to put to eat to actually put you on a legitimate strength and conditioning program. And the last thing I'll say is that you nailed it. Like it's it's counterintuitive because they're weights. You don't want to get hurt, but you have to get stronger because the because you don't want to stay weak. you got to get stronger so that you increase your tissues capacity to tolerate forces and stuff like that and, and reduce the risk of injury. So, so the, and the best way to do it is just to ease yourself into the program. You know, I mostly strength train and I do some martial arts on the side. The other day I haven't played a pick. You're going to enjoy that. You like to play basketball. I played a pickup game, three, three games for the first time in, I want to say eight years. Yeah. All right. And I went in saying, all right, I know I'm going to be really gassed very shortly. Honestly, I wasn't. Huh? I wasn't gassed. Um, obviously, I have not. I don't really. I can't say I do cardio work. And certainly I haven't played basketball. And there's a uniqueness of the sport or the activity itself where you're trained for that activity. I haven't played basketball. It's not like I really go running that much. I think I, I'd like to go more, actually. I, I went yesterday for the first time. I run up the stairs and to get take the train. I'm always running that kind of stuff. But really, what I'm doing most is the basics: deadlift, chest press, you know, squats. And sometimes I do higher reps. And <laughs> you do 12, 13, 15 reps of you know barbell squats. You're gassed <laughs> after that. So you, we said this last time. You can get cardio through weightlifting, but you cannot get card. You cannot get strength. You cannot get stronger through aerobic That's exercise. Right. It kills two birds with one stone. So you and I talked right before we signed on, and you know that I teach another course, a strength and conditioning course, and and just yesterday I covered this stuff in my class. Basically, how the body adapts to what's called anaerobic exercise. So it's not aerobic, it's anaerobic. It's not in the presence of oxygen. And, and so, yeah, on my slides, I was talking about how, and, you know, not just like my view, this is, you know, evidence, this is textbook stuff that a properly designed resistance training program can improve, significantly improve aerobic capacity for the exact reason that you just said. The higher repetition ranges, and especially if you're including it with either like a circuit training type program or maybe shorter rest periods between sets, keeps your heart rate up. And you and the outcome is that you increase your aerobic capacity on a continuum. Of course, you're not going to increase it as much as someone who's a who's running all the time, but you still improve it significantly. Like in, th in other words, what I mean by that is, you're, you get yourself way out of like that beginner level. 
you might not be at the advanced yeah. level, but you're going to be like in the intermediate, which and very healthy um, cardiovascular system. So absolutely. So I played those three games of basketball and I held my own. I was, I love it. I was, you know, and it, some kids, I mean, there were a bunch of 15 year olds there too, which is like, that's the other thing. I was like, wow, I haven't played with young kids in a long time. A few others were my age. Geo, but the it, bottom line is, if it's not it, on it video, was, it didn't happen. So I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I can't, I mean, truth be told, my shot was very much off. So that was evident that I haven't played in eight years, but <laughs> I was able to play three games and, and actually be as good as I was eight years ago. I love it. Which it wasn't that great back then either. But again, to make the point is like you get a lot of bang for your buck with, from weight resistant exercise. Yep. I think we should have started the the this conversation today and I, again i will link to our previous episode but just to make it a point that i think that we concluded last time that um, perhaps weight resistant if we have to choose i think that if we do a little bit of everything is better um, weight resistant exercise some aerobic and some sort of movement or stretching of some sort but i think that we concluded that if you have to choose one weight resistant training is is, is the king and the queen to in comparison to others. Are we still on the same page with that? 100%. I mean, and for the exact reason yeah. you just said, because yeah. weight training kills two birds with one stone, and it has a more positive effect on your skeletal system and strengthening your bones, yeah. your muscular system than endurance training because it's strengthening your muscles, and your nervous system because it's activating more, much more of your nervous system. So absolutely uh, agree 100%. Jeff, I don't know. I'm gonna I threw, I'm gonna throw something out there that we were not plan, planning for since yep. we were talking about the nervous system. There was a study that I saw somewhere recently that so one of the ways of measuring physical strength um, clinically is through grip strength, yep. and that's a proxy for overall strength. Yep. This particular study showed that if there's a big difference between left hand and right hand, that they actually showed. It. Did you see that? I saw it. It came up on my Twitter feed. I just there's an asymmetry of grip strength. Yeah. Um, showed that there's a, might be a nerve function, that there might be some nerve dysfunction in that particular nerve that stimulates the, or supposed to stimulate the nerve that's weaker, uh, the grip that a hand that's weaker. Can you expand on that? Because I actually measure grip strength on my patients. And I guess my question is, what, how, how much wiggle room do we have before we say, okay, this is a problem? Another, you know, uh, between everybody has their dominant hand that's typically uh, their dominant hand and arm that's typically stronger. How much weaker can the other hand and arm be so that it's not such a big difference or indicator of anything? I'll do my best with responding to this. This is definitely not my area of expertise, but I still would have yeah. a view or two on it. One is that from like an imbalance standpoint, which was, I think was part of your question, how much of a, an imbalance? Yeah. If in a scale of one to 10, my right hand, which is my dominant hand is a 10 or nine and my left hand is like a two. Yeah. We don't know. That's a big difference. So, exactly. so what's the way, can my left hand be a seven and that, you know, and my right hand be a nine and that, you know, how, what percentage difference is it allowable? Yeah. So you, as best as you, I won't hold you to the details because, yeah. but you know, I just want to have an idea because I've seen that I've seen one, the non-dominant hand being way uh, weaker than the other in many patients. Yeah, I feel comfortable answering this. So from an athlete, using athletes as a point of reference, you don't want there to be more than like a 10% difference from one side mm -hmm. to the other, or there's got to be mm -hmm. an increase of risk of injury. And yeah, and that includes your strength, your power, 
you know, your ability to explode and stuff like that. You want to be as symmetrical as you can. And so the wiggle room is about 10%. So using that, I, I just feel like what applies to athletes generally also applies to everybody else because we're all human beings and have you know, similar physiology. It's just that athletes are optimized things. But if you have a body, you're an athlete. Yeah, there you go. So, so another, <laughs> another answer to your question, though, is I actually have two quick things. One is there's going to be a difference between athletes and the fact that they're doing things at such a much higher level and therefore the risk of injury is much higher versus just general activities of daily living. So for so if you're not a recreational athlete or a competitive athlete and, and your life is just your work or you know activities of daily living, then I think the wiggle worm can be more. It's not ideal, but um, but it's not necessarily going to mean that you're you're guaranteed get injured because it's uh, it's twenty percent or something like that. But with that said, and this is my last part of the answer to your question, you mentioned that it's a proxy, and so uh, you know that's actually my view is it's a proxy, and that we should, you know let's dig a little deeper, and so let's go ahead and start you know in a perfect world let's assess this. And the way you assess it is, or at least the way I assess it, since I'm not a physical therapist and I'm on the strength and conditioning side, is I have the person do what's called unilateral exercise. So that means like single arm rows, single arm presses. So I can look at the strength on the right side versus the left when you're rowing, when you're pressing, or if they have the ability to do a lunge um, let, you know, and they have the, the balance and the strength to be able to do a lunge, let's do that. And if they don't, let's get them into a leg press, for example, and have them do a leg press with their right and load up. And, but there's different ways to to look to actually dig deeper and look at the strength on both sides and then you can use those things to catch the strength back up then as well you know and just work harder on the weaker side and catch it back up as much as possible to the to the stronger side you know people are listening to you jeff and then you're saying all these wonderful things and you're saying well if i have a client i'll do x y and z but We've established that I don't even think you're seeing clients anymore. So people are like, okay, we don't want to leave them high and dry. So how can people actually find a legitimate strength and conditioning coach or trainer that or for just wellness and health and longevity? Is there such a website if they're certified from this organization or the other that they're the real deal? Yeah. So I guess part, honestly, part of my answer is you can direct them to me. I won't. I'm not going to be able to be the one to do the trainings, but even if it's like, like I do have a virtual business and I have uh, some degree trainers that work for me. So that's one option. But even if they, your listeners aren't interested in something like that and they want a trainer in their local area and they live in Topeka, Kansas or something like that, I'm so connected with the two governing bodies in exercise science, the American College of Sports Medicine and the National Strength and Conditioning Association that I can just reach out into my network. And I would need to know a zip code and I can't guarantee I'm going to be able to find somebody. But I, you know, as long as it's not a rural area, if it's rural, then to be honest with you, it's pretty much going to have to be virtual or. Yeah. What are those two organizations? So the two governing bodies in exercise science are the American College of Sports Medicine, the ACSM and the National Strength and Conditioning Association, the NSCA. And I'm I'm president elect of the ACSM's. New York chapter, and I chair the NSCA's special populations group. I'm really connected with both of them. So you can send them my way. And at the very least, uh, I actually created a video, an instructional video on this. So I can just send them a link to my video on how to vet fitness trainers. I have a whole video, you know, and I'm no, no charges is free that I'll very happily send people. So send me a link to the video sure. so I can post it. And how can they be in touch with you if they want to find Yeah, that, the best way is my email address. So jy 
and then the word it's all one word but it's jy since i'm jeff young kinesiology mm-hmm. so it's k-i-n e-s-i-o-l-o-g-y and that's gmail so jy kinesiology at gmail.com and thank you for offering yeah that. absolutely this is my passion i want you know i want to be able to connect people with because it's a problem right you know a lot of most of the fitness that industry is is not are not qualified and we need to learn everyone whether it's clinicians and the public needs to learn how to yeah. vet trainers and what to look for and so yeah i'm very happy to do this jeff thanks for offering that and for giving us that information i wanted to get that out the way since i know you have a hard stop coming up jeff we were talking before on um how can so how strong do i need to be i'm 50 years old I never talk about how much I deadlifts or squat or anything because, A, it really doesn't matter as my own personal best. Two, you know, people have a misunderstanding of that information or kind of uh, compare themselves to me or, or I don't squat or deadlift as much, so I must be horrible. Or some people are like, God, that's it? Man, I can squat way more than that. This is just a silly thing. Agreed. But for my age, I hit all my metrics that I like to hit in certain things. What am I aiming for? How, what am I really aiming for, right? Like, in other words, other than my own athletic thing, as I get old, I want to do X, Y, or Z. But really what I really want is to stay really strong and fit as I get older. Do I need to, you know, you know, what's the metrics that I'm like, okay, I'm really doing what I'm staying in pace with my age and other people my age. What am I trying to accomplish with regards to strength training and how strong I get. Yeah, so there's a website, it's strength level. I think it's .com, it might be .org or .net, but it's strength level one of those. And it gives all these metrics across the, you know, for male and female and across the decades of life. So it's a, it, there's other resources as well, but that's the one that I like the best. But my answer to your question is, we need to know this stuff. Like, like fitness lies on a continuum and at the low end is beginner level. And then there's intermediate and there's advanced. And some people say there's elite. Um, but you know whether you believe it's advanced and elite or just advanced, the bottom line is most people fall into the beginner level. And I'm a believer, and through almost 30 years of experience, so I'm a knower, not just a believer, that intermediate level is doable for pretty much everybody. And the reason why it's intermediate is because these are the norms. And this is, this is what you want to aspire to. So whether it's going to strengthlevel.com or whatever the suffix is, suffix is or even chat GPT and just going there and asking the question. And you know, the, what are the norms for I'm a 50 year old male. What are the norms for, you know, this these exercises or whatever? And it'll, it's going to turn it out. But the point is that we need these objective points of reference and they exist. And I think that, like, for example, I worked with somebody, I'm not going to name names or titles or anything like that, but I worked with somebody who fell into the category of a, of a male who loved to strength train, but only their upper body. And there are many of us who want to avoid our legs, they don't want to do squats, deads or whatever. And skip leg day. Yes, exactly. So this person skipped leg day. So I, uh, it was a colleague and I used to tease him all the time. And his response was, my legs are strong. No, I'm sorry. My legs are strong enough. And my answer to him was, 
but strong is compared What's to enough? what you need points yeah. of reference. And that goes right back to what I just right. said. We need, you know, this right. stuff is literally just a chat GPT question away. The answer to this question is just a chat GPT or a strengthlevel.com or something, but it's worth taking the time to see what these metrics are so that you can see what's beginner, intermediate and advanced. If you have no desire to do be advanced, who cares? You know, but I just believe that people should aspire to get out of beginner level. And also don't let those numbers scare you because if you're like, oh, I'll never get to that. Don't worry about it. Because if you're on a property design right. program, I promise you, if you're progressing, the tortoise wins the race. So it's not trying to get there in the next six months or a year or anything like that. If it takes you two, three, five years, who cares? You're As you're progressing, you're going to feel better, right? That's what matters. And, and the you know, falling in love with the process, that whole cliche and stuff like that. But my answer to your question is those numbers exist. Those norms exist. We need to get to know them. And let's try to get ourselves out of beginner range because you're going to feel better. Your health's going to improve with it. You're going to reduce your risk of injury. It's nothing but good to know those numbers and try to move towards them. Good. I love it. Thank you so much for that. I'll check that website out. You know, in, in your fam- familiarization phase, Jeff, I think a, an important component is the technique that you do to for each type of exercise, right? Jeff, I've been squatting barbells for a long time. I could tell you that I am still improving on how to properly do a barbell squat. And it's pretty remarkable because every little tweak makes all the difference in the world. So where do you find information to say, okay, look, I dare some, I do reference some YouTube videos. I think YouTube videos are great. Um, do you have a particular YouTube video or type or person that has these videos on technique with regards to any weight training, whether it's barbell squat or, or deadlift or deadlifts, dead, you know, deadlifts actually, um, correct me if I'm wrong, by the way, have you changed your mind that deadlift is the king and queen of weight training as opposed to barbell squats? I have not changed my mind. So we'll have to have another podcast and argue about it. (laughs) (laughs) I thought this would be the day. I thought this would be the day. Deadlifts, I find it very difficult to really get it, you know, get it wrong, though you can, and very difficult to get injured doing deadlifts. You just drop the weight. Exactly right. Right. Now, is even easier and less complicated if you do it on a hex bar because it's sort of set up for you. That's right. So that's a main reason why I really like deadlifts other than, you know, you, you stimulate a lot of muscles in one with one exercise. Is that correct? 100%. I agree with everything you said. I'm a fan of heck, trap bar deadlifts. I've sw- I switched over them to them four or five years ago. I don't really do barbell that much anymore. Some of it is because of my age and my skeletal system, but some of it is just because everything that you just said. And also it just kind of puts your body in a little bit safer position, et cetera. So yeah, no, I agree with everything you said 100%. Why I saw, you know, I do stalk you online and I see your own workouts and you, you don't do barbell back squats. You do front squats, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Why have you made those adjustments? Um, because even though I haven't had a diagnosis since I work in sports medicine and rehab, I'm extremely confident that I have some some mild lumbar stenosis going on. So the narrowing you know, for your listeners, the it's, it's when your uh, spinal canal narrows a little bit and I'm sure I have degeneration going on. I just turned 58. So 
you know, some people are going to say, oh, he's still young. But the truth is, I'm not in my 20s, 30s or 40s anymore. So I'm. Well, you will always be young. Yeah, exactly. My name's Jeff Young. So I will always be young. <laughs> I could have let that one go by. Yeah. So, but my answer to you is that, yes, the, the barbells kind of let me know that, uh, that it's just, my, my back just likes front squats a lot better. That's really what it is. So let's talk about that because I'm trying to, you know, I barbell squat and I, you know, I don't know when I'll stop. I don't. You know, I don't know when I'll need to stop. And here you are the strength coach and you're like, wait a minute, let me make changes because, you know, I have, uh, spinal stenosis. Yeah. Is there, are you being super safe oh, yeah. with your approach? Yeah. Like if you really, really wanted to, you could do barbell absolutely. squats, but you're just trying to take an extra level of precaution. Absolutely. I'm glad you asked me that question because I don't want to scare your listeners. So I'm really glad you asked me that question because yeah, yeah. absolutely. If I lighten the load. So, you know, so it, it, some of it's my ego. You know, I grew up a jock and, and I still, even though I'm getting older, I still want to lift heavy and do four reps and three reps and, you know, heavy loads. And so that's the really the main reason why I absolutely could choose lighter loads, not take myself as close to muscle failure and higher repetition ranges. And then I'm sure I would be okay. So some of it's just my own stupid ego. So uh, yes, I'm glad you asked me that question. It, it's nothing to be scared. Yeah. Because I always wonder, I was like, man, if Jeff is not doing it, what yeah. should I be doing barbell squats? I'm like, and I know, I think I know the answer, right? A bar is in the right place. Like I said, I'm always working form. I don't go, you know, that, you know, everybody looks at Ron Coleman, right? The ex-bodybuilder yeah. who is sort of crippled from, yeah. you know, repping 800 pounds. Yeah. And you definitely don't want that. And I know a lot of friends who are bodybuilders who are, you know, their shoulders are wrecked, right? So there is... I mean, we are aware that there is an unhealthy way of doing these things, but there's also a very healthy way of right. doing it where you strengthen tissues, exactly. bones, ligaments, muscle. And, and at the end of the day, that's important. Um, and there again, look, in, with patients, I don't really tell – Yeah, again, my patients are not athletes or bodybuilders, so I don't tell them, hey, go do barbell squats. I tell them – I'm a huge fan of deadlifts. Well, I think you know that. Well, for the reason is because you work so many muscles and so much of your – when you do strength training, and I'm just kind of talking out loud because I know that you know this, you're not only training muscles. You're particularly even more so training the nervous system. Right. So you're stimulating the nerves in that muscle group. They, and when you do a deadlift, you pretty much – I think you're stimulating every muscle from your toe to your neck. That's right when you're doing a deadlift so yeah agree 100 as a matter of fact uh, towards the end of next month i'm doing a presentation at wild cornell medical college's multiple sclerosis center so it's going to be neurologists and oh, stuff nice. like that and what you just said is going to be a huge part of my presentation that what train there's a phrase what trains together gains together and that's going to be one of my slides and that it isn't just about muscle it. and the skeletal system it's absolutely about the nervous system and we need to do things like deadlifts you're trying to suck me into your world where i become a deadlift person and you're actually doing a pretty good job of it. <laughs> <laughs> i thought today would be the day i see what you're doing i thought today <laughs> so jeff thanks so much i really wanted to talk to you about how people can lose the fear and just you know not be intimidated i think you're a barbell guy mostly in a hex bar guy with what i've seen i think that i start them with anything get a yeah. couple of kettlebells i agree space you know it, it takes no no space yep. um, and you can start working there and you can start making improvements but the bottom line is you know people need to start lifting if they haven't done so already and then optimize their lifts and their strength 
if they're already uh, lifters. And I would say right to the end, right to the, your last day, the quality of life would be so much better. And as a prostate cancer expert, or at least I spent a lot of time in prostate cancer, everyone does better if they does weight resistant training. I don't care what spectrum, unless they just can't because of uh, physiological yeah. injuries or some other reason. Jeff, is there, we have your email. So now hopefully you get a thousand emails uh, coming your way. Is there any other way, and I have your website, any other way that people can get in touch with you and any final thoughts? As far as in touch, I would just say the email, Facebook, because I'm most active on Facebook and the mrfinstitute.org website would be the, the top ways to stay in touch and, and get in touch. And, you know, I guess my final thoughts would be, I agree with everything you're saying. And it isn't, you know, you and I like the barbells and stuff like that, but I, in my earlier years, I leaned heavily in that direction, but you know, you get older, you evolve, you change. And the way I look at it now is no, we just got to get people you know, strengthening. And if it does mean machines or kettlebells or whatever the case may be, I just think that, that again, we need to go back to those norms and at least have that as like a carrot that's dangling out there and don't let it scare you, but just understand that that exercise was built on the principle of progression. We want to progress. So when it comes to exercise, people tend to do the same thing over and over again. We're creatures of habit, and that's not a good thing. It's the same exercises for the same reps in the same order. That is not a good thing. You want to progress. And so if you just keep progression in mind, even if it's just a pound a month, that pound a month turns into you know, a lot over the course of years. And so that's really my final thoughts is just get started, ease yourself into it. The tortoise wins the race. And and like you said, just like with aerobic exercise is supposed to be lifelong, was the governing body guidelines are, you know, the World Health Organization, the Center for Disease Control, strength training is supposed to be lifelong. And for all the reasons that we just talked about. So absolutely, 100%. Love it. Thanks so much, Jeff. I'll let you move on to your next thing late at night. Uh, thanks for being on, man. I really appreciate you. Love love talking to you, G. Uh, you know, I, ha- thanks for having me on. I really appreciate that. My pleasure. Take care. Good night, all. See you next time. Our next sponsor partner has a product I use literally every day. I'm talking about AG1. You know, I've been using green powders mixed in drinks for a long time, and it has not always been a great experience, right? The powder clumps up a little bit. It tastes horrible, but you know what? You chug it anyway because it's good for you. AG1 changed the game. In AG1, you have 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day the right way. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, and energy to help you recover and focus and help you age successfully. To make it easy, AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. Geo. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash Dr. Geo to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now for a brief disclaimer. 
This podcast is for general information only, and we're not forming a doctor-patient relationship through this medium. The use of the information and all links associated with this podcast is at the listener's risk and is not to replace medical advice from a physician or a healthcare practitioner. Lastly, thoughts and opinions related to this podcast are my own and may not reflect the views of any institution or organization I'm associated with. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Dr. Geo podcast. You can watch all episodes of this podcast and much more by subscribing to my YouTube channel on youtube.com forward slash Geo Espinoza ND. If you love what you heard today, you can help by leaving a five-star review of the podcast on Apple and Spotify, as each review helps us reach more men who are serious about improving their urological health and how to function better with age. And for the latest research and actionable takeaways in the world of men's health and integrative urology, sign up for my newsletter at drgeo.com. I'll see you next time.